Raise your hand if you've had a good week of school so far. Raise your hand if you've had a bad week of school so far. Hey, we're all in the same room. Uh, and God is good either way. Amen? Um, God is uh, bigger and greater than our best days and our worst days. And so he'll meet us in the middle of those no matter what. So um, <clears throat> here's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight we are uh, back into our series uh, that we've been doing called The House of David. And so uh, it's been all about David and all about kind of the, the, the prologue or, or the, the prequel, if you will, of David's life into uh, later on what is going on uh, during his life and after his life and all that kind of stuff. And it's really good. And if you remember, this is within uh, the snapshot um, or the, the, the bigger series uh, that we as a youth group have been uh, going on as an endeavor to read the Bible cover to cover. And so you guys have been uh, along the, the journey, and it's been good. We went through Genesis, which was amazing, and talked about uh, the creation of it all and God's relationship to Israel. And then we talked about Exodus, uh, which was all about freedom from oppression and, and freedom from slavery and, and, uh, and uh, listening uh, to God's voice and trusting God. Um, not going back to our old ways, and then, uh, and then we uh, went into Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, which was uh, all about some really important uh, uh, people and things that God was doing and delivering Israel, but then also letting them kind of live in their sin. And then we real we got to this part where we realized that Ruth's great great grandson is David, and so I think that's right, great great. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, and so David's very important. We talked about Samuel. We talked about Saul. And now we're talking about David. Everybody say David. Last week uh, or two weeks ago, we talked about David and Goliath. Uh, this, week we or this last week, we talked about David and Jonathan in a covenant friendship and uh, what we can learn from that. Last week, I was dying while preaching. Um, I was super sick. Uh, and hopefully you didn't notice, but... Uh, I also, I think I said it last week, but um, but I was worse than I uh, put on. So I feel great today, which is a, a good change of pace. And so I am excited to preach uh, in full health and uh, all that good stuff. So tonight, if you're taking notes, tonight's uh, message is called Blind Spots. Everybody say Blind Spots. Blind spots. If you've uh, ever, has anybody ever heard your parents talking about blind spots in the car? Anybody ever heard about that? Right. A blind spot in your car is a place where even if you look, um, not necessarily all the way over your shoulder, but you look in your mirror, you can't see a car. And so it's kind of in this spot where the, the, the structure of your car is blocking the view and the mirror isn't picking them up because they're with, within a certain spot. And so it's called a blind spot. And so it's, those are kind of dangerous. And if a car has big blind spots, it's more dangerous because you can merge into another car and create an accident and do those types of things. And so um, what I'm talking about tonight is how sometimes... We have blind spots in our own life. Things that uh, don't necessarily show up right away, uh, but if we don't pay attention, uh, will be really dangerous for us, right? And uh, that, that's, that's kind of how it works. And as you, as you drive 
when you first get your license, right, um, whoever recent licensees are in the room, I think Danny's one of them and uh, maybe a few others, but when you first get your license, you drive really cautious, right? You actually feel like you might die every time you get in the car, right? And, and so you're looking everywhere, and I remember when I first got my motorcycle, I'm, I'm like, I feel really vulnerable right now. And, I'm, and I was uh, riding it and looking everywhere. But then here's what I noticed when I, when I first got my license. After like a, a few months, I got really comfortable, and then I realized I wasn't paying attention as well. And so I got in a couple accidents when I was in high school because I just was looking around. Like, if you see Vince riding his bike out there, he'll start looking at you and just keep riding. And you're like, no, Vince, no. That was me driving. I'm like, just chilling with my friends. Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Hey, yeah, good to see you. Boom, right in the back of a car, you know. And it's like, oh, man, what was that? And uh, I let my guard down. So we have... This next part in David's story, right? David killed Goliath. Uh, at first, he was just a shepherd boy, one of seven brothers. And, and then after that, he kills Goliath. And he's this war hero. And he's sought out greatly by uh, all the Israelites. They think he's awesome. They think he's great. They, they, they cheer for him in the streets. He's like this like celebrity. Um, and uh, he's like bigger than Taylor Swift, you know? And... Uh, so he, that was a joke, okay, anyways, and so he is going through town, everything's cool, but then remember Saul gets jealous, Saul doesn't like him, Saul tries to kill him over and over and over and over again, so then David's like in hiding kind of, and it's just kind of this mess, right, and David actually got married to Saul's daughter, but then they got split up because he was in exile, kind of exiled, and it was just a mess. Then, here's what happens next, uh, Saul and Jonathan both die in battle, and so this is the biggest bitter sweet moment of David's life, right? The guy who's been chasing him, trying to kill him, Saul, dies. So that's nice. He's not going to get chased down and, and uh, no more attempted murders, right, of, of David. But then David's best friend, his covenant best friend, um, the person he was closest to in the entire world, dies. So David's, David's really sad. David has to wrestle with this, right? So this happens, and uh, so right after this happens, David is crowned king of Judah, which this is kind of an interesting like little snippet of the story here, is that they didn't crown him king of Israel, but the tribe of Judah, um, which is where David came from, they, they, they crowned him king, right? And so he, um, that's, is that right? No, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Okay, here we go. Um, David was from the house of Judah, right? Was he? Or was it Benjamin? I think it was Judah. Okay, it doesn't matter. Here we go. <clears throat> so, um, so David's king of Judah, but then one of Saul's sons is king of Israel. And this, he's king of Israel for a few years, and then eventually he dies too, and then David is king of all of them. Okay? So all of that banter I just went over, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, he becomes king of all of Israel, okay? That's what we need to know. David is king. David is what? King. Perfect. And I'll get an answer to that question by the end of the day, or it'll wreck me. So I'll let you know. I was right? Judah? Perfect. Okay, good. Thank you. Do that. Whenever I mess up something like that, just go for it. <clears throat> um, I said it, and I was confident, and then I wasn't all of a sudden. Okay. 
So here's the thing. So David's king now, right? David was king of Judah, and then now he's king of Israel. He's king of both. He's king of everything, okay? David was a, a righteous man. He's doing well. He, he was seeking the Lord. Remember, there was those times where Saul was uh, chasing after David, and David found Saul uh, lacking, right? He, he caught him sleeping, and, and, uh, and he cuts off a part of his robe just to show him, like, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't, right? David's doing the right thing. He doesn't, he doesn't kill Saul. Um, he, one of the first things he does when he becomes king is he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was this like, thing that symbolized the, the Spirit of the Lord, right? And so he wants to bring God into the city that he lives because he wants God to be with him, right? And so there's this crazy kind of story where they go and take it, and this one, the Ark of the Covenant is on their shoulders, right? And it kind of starts falling, and this guy tries to catch it, and he touches it, and he dies, which is scary. Uh, which then tells David, oh, man, God is holier than I ever thought he was. Right? If, if he's so holy, we can't even touch him. He knew, he's like, I know I couldn't see him, but we can't even touch the presence of God. Right? But then what happens is David gets kind of scared of that, and David drops the Ark of the Covenant off at a foreigner's house. <laughs> he says, hey, you can have it uh, because it probably will kill us, and so if it's going to kill anybody, it should kill you. But he didn't tell him that. He kind of knocked on the door. Hey, present. It's like a Trojan horse, right? He drops it off at this guy's house. But then that guy starts to prosper. God blesses that man because the Ark of the Covenant's at his house. So David's like, wait a second. I want it back. So he realized two things that we all need to realize, that God is holier than we could ever imagine. But then also his grace is bigger than we could ever imagine as well. That, his, that, that God, God, is, God is so holy that we just realize that we are so wretched. <laughs> but then at the same time, we realize God loves us so much that he's willing to prosper us and bless, bless us in the midst of us being messed up. Which is kind of where David is. And so this is like this, this realization that David has that God is holier than he ever imagined and God's grace is, is, is greater than he ever imagined. And so David brings the Ark of the Covenant into the city and it says he dances in the streets, taking his robes off and being crazy and stuff. And he's dancing in the streets, he's partying, he's worshiping, he's praising God. And his wife, Michael, or Mikael, Mikael, I don't know, Michelle, I don't, I don't know what her name is. Let's call it, let's just say Michael, it's cool. His wife, Michael, who, remember, was Saul's daughter, she says to him, basically, she's like, this is not how a king should act. Anybody ever told you how to act before? Right. This is not how a king should act, she says. She says, she's all sarcastic with them. She's like, wow, great. What a wonderful king that he dances in the street naked in front of all the women of the town. Right? She's like, good on you, David. She's, she's annoyed because he's not what she thinks a king should look like. Which kind of sounds like a bunch of other Israelites we'll talk, talk about later on in the story. They're upset that the king that's there doesn't look like the king they wanted him to be. So David is, is one of the, the closest images we see to Jesus in just how he resembles him. Obviously, he's, we're going to talk about today one of the biggest reasons he's not Jesus. But he do, he's doing those things right, right? He saved Israel. He's doing, he's doing this. And then so what he says to his wife, because she's like, that's not how a king should act. He said, she says, your, your dignity and your shame is just, ugh, it's gross, you know. 
And he's like, basically what he says, is, it was God who anointed me in the first place. Basically what he's telling her is like, I was just a shepherd. I smelled like sheep my whole life. I delivered cheese to my brothers on the battlefield. And God decided that I was going to be king. He's like, I don't need the robes. I don't need everything else. And guess what? I'm not going to be proud and act like I'm all that when God is above me. He's the only one who deserves that kind of recognition. So he says, yes, I'm going to dance in the streets. And he goes, I'm going to be even more undignified than this. And that's why, like, for us, and, and, and a lot of times the girls are better at this than us guys are. But when we worship, that's why if you ever see, see us worshiping with, like, heart abandon and maybe sometimes acting goofy and lifting our hands or whatever. Sometimes I'll worship, like, the worship night on Sunday, I was worshiping, I start crying, and I'm just like, oh, it's a blabbering mess. But it's like, why do we worship with that type of emotion? Because I'm not too proud. I'm not too proud to worship God. Who do I think I am? Right? What David's wife is saying, like, David, you shouldn't worship like that. You're king. And he's like, who do you think I am? I'm nobody. He, he's the only one that deserves that kind of glory and recognition. So that's why we do, this is like a sidetrack from the actual message. But this is why we worship the way we, we worship. is because he's the one that deserves all the praise, all the glory. The Bible talks about in heaven there's, there's a group of, of 24 elders that are sitting around the throne and they take their crowns and they cast it towards God. Essentially saying, you're the one who deserves the glory. I don't need this crown. I don't, I don't want this. It's like when, when Jonathan took off his robe and gave it to David. It's like all of the, the pride and all the things that I think make me worthy or whatever, it, it's all yours. And so all of a sudden we see a different type of king. David is a different type of king. He's not too proud. He's not distant. That was, that was the model of a king before, was the king needed to be scary and distant. And you would try to please the king so that the king wouldn't kill you or send you into exile. But David is close. David is common. We hear of a God later on that's supposed to be far and supposed to be scary. And all of a sudden, he's close. And a carpenter... Born in the major. See the parallels? So David's doing a lot of things right. <laughs> David also, he, 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 he tells someone in his house, he goes, hey, does anybody know of anybody from Saul's family that's still alive that I could bless? I want to bless someone from Saul's family. You know, the guy that was trying to kill me. I want to bless someone from his family. What? And someone's like, yeah, Jonathan has a son, but he's disabled. He can't walk. His name is Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. And uh, so he's like, bring him here. And so David gives him back everything that belonged to Saul. He said, here, Mephibosheth, this is all yours, man. This is, this is what you deserve. This is your right. And he goes, eat at my table often. He treats him like he's his own family. David's doing the right stuff. Give me a thumbs up if you think David is a good king so far. I think he's a good king. But David, yes, he kind of maybe 
foreshadows Jesus a little bit, but he's not Jesus. Raise your hand if you know you are not Jesus, right? So what does David do? David, after he's been doing everything great, he's this war hero. There's many times where even after he killed Goliath, the Philistines were coming back for more. And he said, God, should I go get him again? He said, get him. And he goes and he's like, and he gets him and he kills him and stuff. And it's crazy. David's him. He's awesome. He's great. But then all of a sudden, David starts to get kind of lazy, and he starts sending people off in battle, and he stays at home, and he's chilling. Everybody say chilling. David's up on his balcony chilling while, while his, his army's off at war, and he sees this woman down over there, and she's taking a bath. And so, you know, realistically, what David should do is, oh, Hey, cover up, you know, like, we all can see you up here, you know. <clears throat> but what does he do? He looks at her. And then, if that's not bad enough, he calls one of his servants. Uh, who's that? And they say, well, that's, uh, that's Bathsheba. That's uh, Uriah's wife. He goes, mm, bring her here. So David does a really terrible thing, and, and, he, uh, and he sleeps with Uriah's wife, and then, if that's not bad enough, a couple weeks later, she tells him that she's pregnant. Oh, man, it's like an episode of Jerry Springer. It's like, it's like where's Mario when we need him, you know? And so, none of you know what that is, which is great. So then he freaks out. Any, any of you guys ever been caught doing something really, really bad? And you freak out. Uh, 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 right? David's like, uh, uh. So David's like, uh, 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 get Uriah. Bring him back here. Bring him back here and tell him uh, to stay home for a little while. And the idea is that he's going to, like, make Uriah think that the baby's his. So Uriah, get back here. So Uriah comes back. And Uriah is such an honorable man. Oh, he just punches David in the face with kindness. He punches David in the face with righteousness because he lays on David's doorstep and says, while the war is still going, I don't get to sleep in the comfort of my own home while my friends are out there in battle. <laughs> David's like, why? And he goes, okay, that's fine. Just stay a couple more nights. And he's hoping that Uriah is going to get sick of sleeping on the marble floor. He's going to go home and sleep in his own bed. But no, Uriah punches David in the face with, Righteousness. He says, no, nah, man, while my friends are out there battling, I'm staying right here. I'm not going back to the comfort of my home. I'm not kissing my wife goodnight. They don't get to do that. So David's like. So he goes and tells. He writes a letter and he sends it to the leader of the army. And he says, in the letter, it says, put your eye on the front of the most dangerous battle and withdraw so he dies. So he does. They put Uriah in the front. The battle gets crazy. And if you can imagine this picture, Uriah is fighting for his brothers, fighting for everyone. And everyone just falls back, and it's just Uriah. What? And then they, then they kill him. How could this happen? David was supposed to be a man after God's own heart. It says that in the Bible that he, he pursued God. David was like, he was amazing up to this point. 
How did it go so bad? If it wasn't bad enough to look at her and then, and then take her and then, and then kill him? We ever been there where it was like kind of bad? Oh, it's really bad. Oh, it's super bad. I messed up way worse than I thought. I, it started off small. It's like if you ever watch VeggieTales, it's like the little white lie. The giant fib, as you might say. It just grew into this nasty, ugly thing. So here's four things. This is one of the slides. Here's four things that I noticed fueled this sin from David. Here they are. We're just going to throw them up on the screen all the time. Number one is complacency. Number one and two are really close to each other, but they're kind of different. Complacency means that David was okay with where he was at. David was cool with where he was at. Complacent. I'm winning. I'm doing everything. This is. He became complacent. He didn't keep seeking after God. He didn't try and pursue God more. He was just like, I'm here. I'm him. The Ark of the Covenant's here. We are partying. Everything's good. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Come on, we can't get complacent in our lives where we're just, oh, it's cool, it's cool. We got to keep seeking after God. Number two is comfort. David got comfortable. David got lazy. David took a nap when his boys were battling. It's like oftentimes when someone first accepts Jesus, they're all excited. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at camp, you're just weeping. (laughs) Right? And the three, four years later, you're the kid in the back of camp, just like, whatever, look at that, I'm so annoying. <laughs> Got comfortable. I, was, I used to be excited to come to church, and now it's like, eh. I used to be excited to be a leader. Now it's, eh. I've even gone through times, I used to be excited to be a youth pastor, and I show up. Like, eh. You get comfortable. Bad things happen in your comfort zone. Good things happen when you go past your comfort zone. Number three, desire. David's desire was too much. Young people, if we don't learn how to control our impulses, life's going to be really rough. (laughs) If we don't learn how to control our financial habits, like you don't have to buy everything you like, I promise. (laughs) In fact, you probably need to buy... 1% of all the things that you like. Maybe less. It's like for me, I don't need to eat everything that looks really good, you know? But I want to. I did it today. But, you know, it's like our desire needs to be curbed. I don't need to, if we can get real, I don't need to participate in everything that the cool kids are participating in. Just to fit in. I just want to be noticed. I just want to be cool. I want to be wanted. Hey, you are wanted. You are. You're loved. And whatever they're doing to get attention is not going to be good enough. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to get what you want. I just want to stand out. I just want to be loved. Our desire can really get us in trouble. And number four, unresolved guilt. This is interesting. When we do something wrong, when we don't resolve the guilt that we're working with, it grows. Well, right? We do, we do something, we try to justify it right away. Did something wrong. Well, actually, honestly, 
quite literally. If they wouldn't have done that, that would have never happened. So it's really their fault. It's not my fault. So it's all fine. Yes, I punched my teacher in the face, but it really was my parents' fault because they were arguing at home, and it's a rough home environment, and so their fault, blame them, not my fault. Yes, I cheated on that test, but honestly, the person next to me was kind of sliding their paper pretty far off the thing, so it's kind of their fault, not mine. Which then, you graduate high school, and you're like, I don't think I learned anything. <laughs> right? It just escalates. Unresolved guilt. Those are funny, funny examples, but we do something bad, we try to shove it to the ground, and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, what's the solution to all this? How do we fix all this? How do we not get into this place? Well, one, we try not to be complacent. We try not to be comfortable. We try not to... To, to fall into our desires. We try to resolve our guilt. But how do we do that? How do we resolve our guilt? How do we, how do we function in this? Here's the word. Ready? Repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is simply saying, I was completely wrong. And not only was I wrong, I'm going to go this way now. If I'm walking this way, and I'm caught in my sin and my shame, repentance is not saying, oh, yeah, that's kind of rough. <laughs> right? Repentance is saying, I'm in a heap of mess, and yes, every step I took until this point got me into this mess, but what I can do now is turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance is. And here's the cool story. It's like the story of the prodigal son. All you have to do is turn this way, and while you were still yet a far ways off, the father comes running to you. It's not like all of a sudden i got to make my way all the way back. No, you just got to turn in the right direction, and God's like, there we are. Come on now. Let's go. It's like when Vince is trying to get his bike into something, and he's mad. He's like throwing his bike at the wall because he can't get it through the thing. <laughs> you know. And I'm like, Vince, if you just turn the wheel... And then it starts working. He's like, oh. And I'm like, oh, yeah. There we go. So God is with us. We're just like messing up and kicking ourselves in the face. And it's like, oh, man. And he's like, just turn. Turn away from that. We do. And he's like, oh, man. Okay. So here's some scripture. Are you ready? Second Samuel chapter 12. I'm going to read a little bit. Then the Lord sent Nathan. Everybody say Nathan. Not this Nathan, a different Nathan. Then the Lord said, sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in one city. The one rich and the other poor. Story time. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Which he bought and nourished. So he said, there's a rich guy, there's a poor guy. The poor guy had a little sheep. He named him Sean. Just kidding. Her name is actually her. He named her Sally, okay? Just kidding. And it grew up together with him and his children. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's basically a dog. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and die, not die, would lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. So he'd snuggle up with this little sheep. 
Anybody have pets? Raise your hand if you have pets. And you snuggle with your pet. Oh, how cute. Can you imagine? These are fluffy little sheep. Oh, fluffy little sheep. It's like a pillow. Now a traveler came to the rich man, a visitor, someone from out of town. And he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he said, oh, I'm not going to use any of my sheep. That guy's sheep. So the rich man takes the poor man's sheep that he loves so much he's been snuggling with and prepared it for the man who had come to him, which is a really beautiful way to see that he slaughtered it and put it on the table for dinner. Sally became dinner. What? Then David's anger. Remember, David was what before he became king? Ah, shepherd. David knew what this felt like. Man. And he's mad. That guy gave everything to that sheep, and he raised that sheep, and the sheep is so cute. He's so cuddled. I just, I can smell it right now. David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, which is like a, a, a way to say, you know, anyways, whatever. <laughs> I was going to use another example. That's not good. Okay. As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Right? It's like, as the Lord lives, which he does, surely this guy deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. He goes on to rebuke him. But you do this, you sin against me. David's like, who would take that guy's sheep? <laughs> right? Who would, who would possibly do that? Who would, bat, who would, who, this guy raised him as his only sheep. You have a hundred sheep and you're going to take this guy's sheep. You're going to slaughter it and serve it to dinner for someone who's just visiting. So you deserve to die. And Nathan's like, yeah, you do. Whoa. <laughs> man, we've been there. Where it's like, man, that person, you guys have all been there where we're like, oh, that person did so bad. They're so rude. They deserve to get kicked out of the school. You know, they deserve to, their parents, you know, whatever. should spank them forever. You know, so I don't know. It's like, they should get grounded for their whole life. You know? And then it's like someone whispers in their ear, yeah, so should you. Oh, man. So what does David do? This is the difference between Saul and David. We talked about this before. Saul did something bad, and he's like, oh, man, uh, if you're going to take everything away, I repent. Whoopsies. <laughs> Bring me back to the house of the Lord. But David, in verse 13, sinks down, looks at Nathan, and says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan said to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin, so you shall not die. It's a beautiful story of grace. Raise your hand if you think David did something really bad. So here's the thing. We're not justifying David's actions. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing, though, is 
expressing the wondrous grace of God. That even though you could do something so bad, so bad, God can look at you and be like, well, (laughs) just turn the other way. Come back to me. Right? And some, some of us, if this is the starting line, some of us are here and God's like, come back. Some of us are like here and God's like, hey, yo! <laughs> Trying to get us to come back to him. So here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not standing up here to preach to you. Don't ever sin. Don't be like David. Don't ever do anything bad. Don't be like Saul. We're all going to... Raise your hand if you sinned today. <laughs> I did. Right? All of us have. We've all, we've all had bad thoughts. We've all done bad things. So I'm not saying that you're going to ever be perfect. I'm saying you should try not to do these bad things because this is how it can ruin your life. The, the, the truth of the matter is David's sins were forgiven but the world didn't forget. David lost a child because of this. And then his whole family (laughs) seemed to be in shambles after this. So don't make those mistakes because because it has real-world implications for sure. But, But here's the other thing I'm saying is I'm saying God's grace is bigger than anything you've done in your past that you could still walk with him and and be seen. David has still talked about as a man who was after God's heart. How could he if he did something so bad? Well, because he repented and he sought sought after God. Does that make sense? So nothing you did yesterday disqualifies you from loving Jesus today. Right? And I don't want you to keep going in that way. That's what repentance is about. Repentance isn't keeping going. Repentance is turning around. Saul kept going in his sin. David turned around and said, I can't do that anymore. And that's the difference with us. So here's the thing. I'm not asking you to be perfect. What I am asking you to do is to acknowledge that sin is heavy and it's bad for you. Sin is tearing you up. And if we could just get on the same page there that sin is bad no matter what. It's bad for us. It's not helpful. It's not helping us. Then we can go in the same direction. Then we can look towards Jesus. Jesus, there's no way I can ever be perfect, but if I look to you and if I follow you, I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. That's the whole point of the whole thing. It's not to be perfect. It's not to be sinless. It's not to be blameless, but there is one who is. And and God says, in my pursuit of him, in my acknowledgement of him, he's the one that gets looked at instead of me. So when it comes to time for me to, to be put on that cross, Jesus is on it instead, not me. That's the whole gospel story. So, all of this to say, and you can stand up, I'm done. Here's the thing. Blind spots. Guys, don't let the things that seem like little sins keep going. They add up. Oh, I didn't do, I didn't do the big one. I didn't do the bad one. Oh, but we did a lot of these. And a lot of these added to complacency and comfort and desire and all these things that got us into this, a spot that we don't want to do. So here's what I would say, guys. Would we all do our best complete effort of being really slow to sin? <laughs> try our very best. Sometimes we're going to mess up, but try our very, very best not to sin, but be really, really quick to repentance. Really, really quick. As soon as you mess up, oh, Lord, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't, 
Well, no, I, actually, I did mean to do that, and that was terrible, and I don't want to do it again. I don't want to be caught in this anymore. I want to I seek after you and then change our direction. So be as slow as we possibly can to sin and quick to repentance. Amen? Um, real quick before I pray us out, uh, we've been talking about SoCal United. Everybody remember what SoCal United is? It's a missions fund uh, for a couple different projects, uh, clean water to Africa, um, there's uh, uh, building soccer fields in Indonesia, uh, and there's uh, vehicles for missionaries. And so uh, our youth group has committed to 2,000. I'd love to hit that and then go past that to three or 4,000. And so every dollar counts, every penny counts, every quarter counts, whatever you have, spare change in your pocket. So after uh, the conclusion of tonight's service, after I pray, I'm just going to leave this up here. I'm not going to stand here like some weird warden of the, of the <laughs> offering, but I'm just going to leave it here. And if you got any cash or spare change or whatever, just drop it in. Anything helps. We've raised $300 so far, which is really great. I'm really proud of you guys. Uh, so keep doing that. Drop it here. Uh, and that's for that. So I'm going to pray, and then you guys can, can uh, do that and then go hang out. So, Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you uh, show us, God, more of who you are. You show us the way. You show us uh, how to act, how not to act, God. And, and so help us, Lord, to, to, to learn from David and, and, and to see our blind spots and to be more aware, God, knowing that we're not going to be perfect, but we can pursue you in everything that we do. So, God, help us to be quick to repentance in every moment and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.